Welcome to the Tearing It Up podcast. I'm your host, Taryn. We'll be tearing it up, tearing it down, and tearing it apart, dissecting all things related to those who deviate from the standard. From leaders of their industry to leaders of mediocrity, and maybe a gear review or two thrown in. We shoot the shit and let the conversations flow, so if that's not your style, this may not be for you. Otherwise, listen in. Hope to light a fire in you somehow. All right, welcome everybody. I'm really excited for this podcast because I think that <laughs> she, with the outdoor industry, um, her background in athletics, I think a lot of you are going to love this conversation and I'm really excited to dive into it. Um, we have Heather of Heather's Choice. So at Tahoe Mountain Sports, we carry Heather's Choice dehydrated food. And that is how I first found out about Heather's Choice. I didn't know about her too much. I knew that she was based in Alaska, and it was really very recently that I started to learn more about her with um, her appearance on Shark Tank, which for Tahoe Mountain Sports, we felt like heard that was going to be a thing, and we were excited for it. We love seeing the brands we carry. Um, we've had a few beyond Shark Tank, so we love seeing them there and their journey with all that. So I watched the episode, and I listened to a couple podcasts that Heather was on, and I was just like, oh my god, I have to talk to her. I have to hear more. So Heather, where are you in the world right now? Oh, I am here at Heather's Choice headquarters in Anchorage, Alaska. And I say headquarters because it's funny. Like if you were here, you would see that our business is spread across three different warehouse bays, all within, you know, a hundred mile or hundred yard dash of each other. And headquarters is literally where we store all the finished goods. That's where we ship all the orders out to people like Tahoe Mountain Sports. And then we have a couple of offices that have no soundproofing, a couple of shop dogs, a break room. That's also a conference room. Like it's just, it's hilarious. So that's where I'm calling in from. And it's winter in Alaska. So it's cold and it's dark all the time. So I might as well just be podcasting. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. You have no problem being indoors right now. No, I'm starting to get cabin fever for sure. Like I'm realizing that my energy is a little bit like cat, like, you know, Uh, don't mm -hmm. say the wrong thing. I'm going to like hiss at you. It's because I'm feeling very cooped up. It's 12 below and I'm over it. (laughs) 12 below. (laughs) Oh my God. Yeah. Being here in Tahoe, it doesn't, we're really lucky that we get the snowfall that we get. um, And we don't have to deal with the temperatures. It really doesn't get very cold here. We're pretty spoiled. And this winter, unfortunately, we haven't gotten a lot of snow, but um, yeah, it's, I mean, I'm still wearing shorts to the gym and stuff. <laughs> like it's not cold, but 12 below. I don't even I... think I own shorts anymore. <laughs> I'm pretty sure I got rid of all of them. <laughs> yeah, I can imagine that being in Alaska full time. I spent some summers up there, never a winter. Uh, I'm from Washington, and my co-host Amber, who couldn't be here tonight, she lives up in Tacoma, Washington. Um, so a little tiny bit further north than we are here it's a little bit darker but other than that it's not much colder nothing like Alaska winters that's for sure yeah it's Alaska is beautiful it's home sweet home right like it's where I was born and raised but man it's really important to get out in the winter and go to the desert go to the beach something like that and I remember as a kid we always went to Hawaii it was like every January or February everybody migrated to Hawaii for a little bit. So I think I'm just getting to that point in the year when I'm like, you know, maybe I just need a break and come back when 
there's a little more daylight <laughs> when the sun rises <laughs> totally totally absolutely well so you've been there your whole life or I mean I know you went to college actually in Washington state right yeah I was in Bellingham for four years and loved it yeah, that's yeah. where I always say if I move back to Washington, like I'm going to Bellingham. Um, my whole family is still in Tacoma, but something about Bellingham, I just love it up there. And it was Western Washington University then that you were at. Yep, I was a Viking. And after being in college for four years, I decided I wanted to pursue my raft guiding career. So I literally graduated from college, did a Grand Canyon trip, came home to Alaska had heard about Fort Collins and somebody's like, Oh, you should move there. And you know, there's tons of rafting, blah, blah, blah. So in March I had packed everything into the back of my pickup truck, drove from Anchorage to Haines. It was probably like 15 or 16 hours, 30 below, just like a gnarly drive. Took the poor man's cruise, the ferry from oh, yeah. Haines to <laughs> Bellingham and then drove from Bellingham to Fort Collins and was like, well, I guess I'm here and I'm going <laughs> to apply for jobs at, every rafting company and thankfully I did get a job but my my rafting career in Colorado was very short-lived turns out you don't make any money as a raft guide PSA I think <laughs> you know you don't make a lot of money in any guiding almost but especially in your 20s um and when you're just kind of like doing it for the experience <laughs> and um, it was an experience for sure <laughs> yeah well being from Alaska, I'm just going to take a huge um, like assumption here that you were pretty outdoorsy from from the get go. But is that the case? Were you like an outdoorsy kid? Uh, how did you get into that outdoor kind of lifestyle? Man, honestly, as a as a little kid, I was just a an art geek. Like you could have left me with a set of coloring books and like I would have just done that. And at some point, I don't know, I think honestly here in Alaska, because we have night skiing at our local resort, my dad would pick me up from school on Fridays and we would go skiing for the night. And night skiing was like the best thing ever. And that evolved into being a full-blown snowboard brat for all of my teenage years. Just, I think there was a year I had 180 days growing up in a ski town, right? Just, it was ridiculous how much wow. we could go snowboarding every single day. And then when I was 18, living in Girdwood, I was recruited for the local rafting company to go to work. And that was really my first introduction to what felt like the outdoors. Because mm -hmm. all of a sudden, it's not just throwing on all of your gear and going powder skiing for the day. It's like, oh, it's 35 degrees and it's raining. You know, it's September in Alaska and you're still taking these people in a raft down river <laughs> because they came to Alaska to have this experience. And I feel like rafting was my first real introduction to spending any extended period of time in the outdoors. And that was a pretty big turning point for me of realizing how much I loved boating, how much I loved rivers and being surrounded by a community of people that were introducing me to things like pack rafting, backpacking. And yeah, the rest is history. Now I just can't get enough of river trips. I wish that's all I did. <laughs> that's awesome. I definitely, it's hard, you know, just imagining the areas and places I've been in Alaska. When I think of river guiding, I definitely think of like Colorado, Utah, those places. So it's hard to imagine like doing that kind of guide life up there in Alaska. 
Yeah. Uh, I mean, it was really special because I would go to school in Bellingham. I was rowing crew. I would come home and row rafts all summer. And the tour we did, it was not whitewater, right? Mm -hmm. It was like class one and two. And we would literally or people around icebergs on a glacial fed lake and then take them a few miles down river, put them back on the train of all places <laughs> and like train them back to wherever we started. And it was such a fun dynamic trip and such a fun lifestyle during those summers. Mm -hmm. Did that for five years and just had the time of my life. That's amazing. Were most of those people off of cruise ships or they would fly to Alaska and they'd just be doing the whole tour around Alaska, like through trains and buses and stuff? Oh, all of the all above. Of I think, yeah, most people, if I'm understanding correctly, they will come into a place like Seward on a cruise ship. And then to your point, they get a train, they get a bus, they get all of the above and get carted all across Alaska in seven days time. And you're like, holy cow, these people have to be exhausted. They have like 16 hour days on the road. <laughs> yeah, they need a vacation from their vacation for sure. But they're mm -hmm. stuffing all that into one week too. That some of those, because I was a guide in Alaska. For, I did zip lining and kayak guiding up there. And it was basic, it was out of Ketchikan. So I'll cruise ship people. But um, man, they would like be up there, like waited a lifetime to do it. They're doing all that. And then then never again, sometimes just like, that's it. They got their fix and it's crazy, but uh, you meet some interesting folks and yeah, it's just a lot of fun because it's everybody's first time or usually like their first time up there and they're just so excited to see anything. <laughs> so you really can't oh, yeah. like, disappoint them on these tours. No, absolutely not. And you will appreciate this. My sweetheart, Brad, he moved from Colorado to Alaska to pursue his zipline tour guiding. Oh. <laughs> so he lived in Juneau, I think he said for seven months and was a zipline tour guide. And that's how he became an arborist. And that's how we ended up meeting. But he literally was saying to our staff today that when he lived in Juneau, the seven months he was there, there was two weeks that it didn't rain. Oh my God. Oh, like, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yep i mean catch a can was like 400 inches or something of rain yeah i mean i got lucky in the summers i was there but uh definitely lots of rain there in the southeast for sure but anyways back to you and i'm curious how did you get to western in the first place like what did you want to go study there did you want to go to western for rowing or you just wanted out of Alaska. How'd you end up down in the lower 48 for those school years? Yeah, growing up in a small town of Girdwood, I think there was eight kids in my eighth grade class. And then we all went to Anchorage for high school. And it was pretty clear to me, even at a young age, like, I'm not staying. I'm not going to work at this coffee shop forever. <laughs> like, get me out of here. And I remember my dad took me on a college tour and we went to UW in Seattle. And as a girl from small town, Alaska, I was so overwhelmed, just like, nope, this is not the vibe. I can't do it. So I ended up at Western because it was close to Mount Baker. And I thought I was just going to snowboard every day. Right. That was my motivation. Yep. <laughs> the summer before I left for college, I was raft guiding and some guy rode in my boat and he happened to be a coach for a crew team and God knows where. And he just looked at me and my build and was like, you should try out for the rowing team. Like you, 
WWU has a great team. They're highly competitive. Like you should definitely check this out. And I didn't even know that crew existed. Had no idea. Didn't know it was a sport. Well, as it would have it, I showed up at Western. I'm in the dorms and there's this gal. She's like four foot 10. (laughs) And somehow we get to talking and I figure out that she's a coxswain. You know, the little brains of every crew boat. She's like, oh, come with me. I'm headed to orientation. And I remember showing up to orientation and seeing who was the team captain, this gal Lindsay. And she was like tall and confident and dark haired and just strong. And like, I was just enamored, like, oh my gosh, I want to be her when I grow up. Right. (laughs) Like I was just so taken by how much confidence she had and that led me to show up to practice at 5 a.m. on a Saturday with hundreds of other girls. And by the time I graduated, our team was down to 30 of us. Wow. So like in the beginning, this is actually kind of interesting. So Western ended up cutting their football team. And because of Title IX rules, our crew team went from like 100 to 30. So like we sort of had the the opposite effect of what Title IX stands for, of like yeah. getting more women into sports, where all of a sudden, in order to level load everything, our team size ended up shrinking, which mm-hmm. made it way more competitive, right? There's only eight seats in that varsity eight boat. And if you have 30 girls that are trying to make the team and then eight of them that are trying for that varsity eight, it was just really, really competitive. But I fell in love with it and did what Heather does and I get obsessed with things and I got obsessed. (laughs) I can relate. (laughs) Totally. Totally. So yeah, that's how I ended up at Western and it was the best four years ever. I had a freaking blast and loved the whole experience of being a college athlete, loved learning a new sport, loved being in kind of my own little bubble where I was just learning everything I could about sports nutrition and you know, just how to fuel 20 plus hours a week of exercise. And yeah, it was an incredible experience. Is that what you specifically went to study for sports nutrition? Like, did you know that off the bat or did that happen as you like, because of rowing and like being so involved and competitive in it that you were like, I need to learn how I can be the best at it. And nutrition was that one of those aspects? Totally. I thought when I went to Western that I was going to study photography because again, I was kind of like an artsy kid. And the cool thing about Western is that they have a school within a school or they have multiple. So they have Huxley. That's more of the kind of environmental science side of things. I hope I'm saying that right. And then Fairhaven is more of a liberal arts sort of gig within Western. And at Fairhaven, you are actually encouraged to develop your own sort of like curriculum, Mm -hmm. your own concentration. And so mine evolved into being evolutionary nutrition because my freshman year of college, as I'm now competing in a college sport and getting really geeked on that, I'm living in the dorms, I'm eating skim milk, cereal, donuts, like whatever college kids eat. And I ended up with head to toe psoriasis. I looked like a freaking leper and it was so uncomfortable. And psoriasis is an autoimmune condition that is really similar to something like eczema. Mm -hmm. People probably experience like dry, itchy, red, scaly skin. But that was really shocking to me. Like, whoa, all of a sudden, like I'm sick, like this is really uncomfortable and I need to figure out how to resolve this. 
And the option that was presented going to a dermatologist was like, you can use steroidal creams, you can take, you know, uh, oral steroid. That was sort of the, the path forward to mm -hmm. resolve this huge flare up that I had. Being naive as like an 18 year old, anything steroid just immediately you think as a college athlete, like that's not a good idea. So it caused me to have to really dig into like, what is my body freaking out about? What is it responding to? And that started a four year journey of me learning about evolutionary nutrition, eating psychology, uh, paleo nutrition and gut health. And that became again, like a four year intensive of figuring out how to not only solve my own health problems, but then how did that apply to my sport? Mm -hmm. That's so interesting because what year was this? Let's see. I graduated in 2010. So it would have been 2006 through 2010. Okay. I ask because I had eczema as a kid and it was mostly on my hands and um, it eventually like it, it would show up during wrestling when I was a kid. And then it, I went through phases in my life where it disappeared and come back and it disappeared for years and came back when I was working at Jamba Juice and we were using this like crazy um, like chemical wash for the blenders and my hands got so right. bad like I couldn't do the dishes. Then it went away again and then I started working at a restaurant years later and it came back and I was like, what the heck? Because it was always only on my hands and we figured that it was like just topical, the soaps or chemicals. And it wasn't until then, which was 2018 or something that I was reading more about it because like I said, the eczema it had been that bay for a while that I learned it was actually autoimmune. And as a kid, like it was steroid creams, that's all they had. And no one ever talked about it being an autoimmune issue and diet maybe having a factor. For me, it was interesting because, like I said, it came and went. So it seemed more that it was the environment that I was exposed to. We mopped our mats with bleach water. So that was directly touching my skin. And then, like I said, with the blenders, my hands in this crazy sanitizer. And at the restaurant I worked at, I actually started bringing my own soap and I'd wash my hands with that. And I wouldn't have an issue unless I used the soap at the restaurant. <laughs> So crazy. Yeah. But I was eating so much bread there because we got free bread that I was like, it's gluten. And like I said, that that was lining up. People were saying that. So that's I didn't know that psoriasis was also in that kind of same family of being autoimmune and for it to just show up in your life out of nowhere later in your life. And like you said, at that time, there's no no other answers. People aren't like trying to say that your diet could have an effect on it. It's just, here's this steroidal cream or whatnot. So how long right. did it take you after you decided you're not going to go that route of the steroids and you're going to try and, and figure out something else? How long did it take to start seeing any resolve in your psoriasis? Man, I feel like it resolved itself relatively quickly. I did switch to a more whole foods oriented diet. I started getting really geeked on what type of fats I was eating. So leaning towards more raw dairy, more coconut, more olive oil, just things of that nature. And unfortunately for me, that emphasis and that fixation and obsession with figuring out what I could and couldn't eat, like bloomed into an eating disorder. And like, that was its own whole journey of like, oh, look, this is working. Oh, look, I'm losing weight. Oh, people are noticing. Oh, they're making comments. Like 
it becomes such a slippery slope Mm -hmm. so fast. So um, thankfully, I was able to kind of go through this really intensive journey in a truncated period of time of learning what my body needed to be healthy, taking that too far past the point of health to just being freaking scrawny (laughs) and then building myself back up and having more resiliency and carrying more muscle, carrying more weight and just being like a bit more of a force in my Mm -hmm. sport. But I do feel like the psoriasis itself resolved pretty quickly. And now for me, even following still a relatively clean diet, by no means am I a saint with what I eat it still will flare up during times of immense stress, Mm, right? Like mm -hmm. that's what I think about with people is we have to know that something like an autoimmune condition is just, it's too much strain on the system and then the link breaks and then you have symptoms and that can be nutritional stress. It can be life stress. If I was your eating psychology coach, I'd be like, Hey, maybe there's a part of you that knows that you've outgrown food service. Like, Mm -hmm. This might be your body kind of saying like, we don't belong here anymore. This is making us sick because I actually really don't want to be here. I love (laughs) that. I'll take that because that's, I haven't been back (laughs) since, since that restaurant. Cause that was definitely a point in my life that I was like, I'm the most miserable human while working this in this industry. And I, from time to time, I think like I should go back, you know, for the quick book. And I'm just like, I can't, my soul cannot take it. So I, yeah. I will totally accept that as a, a way of it showing its face that nope, nope. Remember, this is what happens to your entire body when you're in this. Right. So totally. with, uh, well, before I get to that, cause eating psychology, I'd love to talk more about that. Cause I don't know too much about it, but, um, with you mentioning going through an eating disorder, but coming back, like that's a full circle path through nutrition from knowing nothing about it, um, learning how to fuel your body for this sport, and then going too far off the deep end and realizing that there's a balance of eating properly for your sport instead of, yeah, just like, oh, I've lost weight. Now I look great, but well, you're not strong there. So I think a lot of women especially fall into that facade that that yeah facade that if you're lighter everything's going to be easier and having a wrestling background that's also the kind of mindset that people have a lot is you're going to drop down you know like a few weight classes because things will be easier if you're not wrestling at your natural weight when it's like if everyone's just wrestling at their natural weight you'd be so much healthier thus stronger instead of you get so far into the deep end of losing muscle mass because you can't eat you're not fueling your you're starving your body thus starving your muscles too so things are not just inherently easier because you weigh less you're not going to be able to do a pull-up because you weigh less (laughs) totally and I think that's the danger of all weight-based sports right like wrestling has it crew has it I'm sure there's lots more and it's just such a slippery slope, I think, especially for women, but I would also argue men struggle just as much, but they don't get to talk about it. Yeah, so there's that. Absolutely. For, for me, it was, this was actually, this was pretty cool. So I figured out that calorie counting was highly effective for losing weight. PSA, like if you count calories, like you will shed weight for sure. Like that's just the laws of thermodynamics. <laughs> But it became so obsessive and the positive feedback of you look great, like 
just further fueled it to the point that I would sit at the end of my bed in my apartment and cry because I thought I'd eaten too much that day. Mm -hmm. Right. And get up and go run 10 miles because I think I ate too many almonds, right? Like yeah. that sort of icky dysmorphia, all of it. Well, then my sophomore year, I had an opportunity to make the varsity eight boat and I missed it. I missed it because I was freaking weak. I was weak as a kitten. Like I just, that, that wasn't, I was not strong enough. I did not deserve a seat in that boat that year. And at nationals, because I went and sat on the bench, I was basically a sub for my team that year. And my coach came and put his arm around me. And again, I was just like tiny. He's like, Heather, would really love to see you in that boat next year. I want you to go home and gain 10 pounds and come back ready to work. Mm-hmm. So it, that was such a small thing for him to do. Like it wasn't this huge intervention. It wasn't that big of a deal, but I respected him so much. And I knew how badly I wanted to be in that RCA boat that I went back home to Alaska again, sort of getting feedback from my fellow river rats, like girl, fucking eat a sandwich. You look terrible. <laughs> Just eat something. And I ate with reckless abandon that summer. <laughs> I think I gained 15 pounds. And I showed up my junior year freaking ready to work. And that was an incredible journey that I'm so grateful I got to have in such a condensed period of time because that evolved into me getting to learn about eating psychology, becoming an eating psychology coach. And now I still witness and see people into their 60s, 70s who are still struggling with a relationship with food. And I just feel really fortunate that I had a hard and fast lesson in it. Mm-hmm. And it's something that never goes away. Like I can witness, oh, there's like some dieting mentality coming in. Mm-hmm. But I just feel really grateful that I had enough outside support who could help sort of bring me back. Cause I know not everybody's as fortunate. Yeah. And I think that honestly, a lot of the older generation like have a harder time because it was so ingrained. And I mean, it was so ingrained into us, into our generation as women, especially. Um, but then especially if you're in a sport that cares about that too. Um, but I feel like, yeah, it's still those older generation of women who are kind of in the more judgmental of others and themselves of like, I know that some, uh, moms that I know friends moms oh they'll see me put down like a huge plate of food they're like wow you eat a lot I'm like yeah I do (laughs) I'm not ashamed about it I'm not like I need this you don't know what I did today like the work I did today was not for me to lose five pounds it was for me to like maintain my strength or to get stronger so I'm not I didn't go do all that work so then I can eat five almonds like I'm gonna refuel but yeah it's it's so ingrained into our society. And I think that we're finally maybe starting to come out of it a little bit, but I think that our generations like at the tail end of that, we're finally just becoming okay with these things. So hopefully those below us, um, you know, just gets better and better, but with eating psychology, I'm really curious about that. And is that something 
that you went like straight into from from school like coaching people then on kind of their eating habits or how how would you describe being an eating psychology what what would you say coach mhm yeah this was again a lot of serendipity so i had made i graduated with a degree in evolutionary nutrition so i could rattle on and on all the nutrition facts that cause people to just glaze over so sort of like <laughs> i don't care what a lipid is i don't care moving on so i had all of that knowledge and then moved out to colorado had taken this job as a raft guide but literally i cleaned vans and buses and really unsexy stuff <laughs> and i was looking for the next sport like what was i going to do i'm I've, i'm done being a college athlete what am i going to do next and i showed up at a crossfit gym and fell in love with it just became totally obsessed like i thought i was really fit and then i joined a crossfit gym <laughs> and was like oh i actually cannot squat to full depth got it yeah <laughs> <laughs> so at that gym, I had the opportunity, I'd asked my coach, like, is there a chance I could like do a seminar, you know, talk to people about nutrition, because I'm not making any money as a raft guide. <laughs> and he's like, sure, you know, you can put on a seminar. And I think I charged 15 bucks. Pretty sure one person came to my first <laughs> seminar. It was great. And simultaneously, I figured out that there was the Institute for the Psychology of Eating that was just down the road in Boulder. It was 10 grand to like go through this nine month course or something like that. I don't know. At the time it was a lot of money and it was such a serendipitous opportunity that I could literally drive right down the road from Fort Collins to Boulder and go to school and learn this whole new language around nutrition. Cause what I find is I can tell people all day long, eat this, don't eat that. Here's your meal plan. Count your macros. Da da da. But we all have our own experience and relationship with food that can get in the way of us making any positive changes to our habits or to try something new. Or you might be somebody who has not a lot going on in their life. And so then food and food obsession becomes the thing that basically manages your days and manages your time. And it gives you a sense of control in a life where you probably feel like you have no control. So I did that program and simultaneously was building up my nutrition coaching business and just came to realize as I was coaching people on what to eat, the conversation was so much more rich and so much more impactful if I could dig in a little bit deeper and be like, okay, was it actually the bread that you were eating at the restaurant? Like, was that really what was making you sick? Or like, tell me how else you were feeling at that phase in your life. What else was going on? Like, just helping people unearth the really silent struggles that they have that then negatively impact their ability to make changes to their diet, mm -hmm. right? Like, I'm inherently rebellious. Like if you tell me what to do, I am not going to do it and I'm going to do something else. So the restriction that comes with any sort of diet plan, like I just mm -hmm. rebel against it, right? Like, yeah, <laughs> don't yeah. tell me what to do. Well, that is, that's something that needs to be addressed on the like, okay, what is your relationship with rebellion? Like, mm -hmm. what is it that 
causes you to have that knee jerk reaction to structure, to plans, to authority. Like that conversation is a lot more interesting than clearly you just don't have any willpower and you're not disciplined and you suck. Yeah. God. (laughs) (laughs) I love that. It's fun. It's really fun work. I, I wish that I still found myself getting to have more of those conversations because they are so rich and they are so interesting. And I feel like it's something that the world really needs. Mm -hmm. Uh, And I'm surprised that over 12 years later, you know, from the first time I started studying the psychology of eating 12 years later, I feel like it's still not talked about, not in mainstream, like not in every day. It's still something that people are really unaware of. And it's, so powerful. <laughs> yeah. It's like with anything, um, we've talked about it before on the podcast with different uh, topics, but like knowing your why. And so, yeah, with, for me, when we, we talk about working out a lot and again, sticking to a workout plan, uh, why, if you know your why of why you want this goal, whatever it is, that's going to help a heck of a lot more than just trying to follow a 30 day workout plan. If you have a real goal behind it, or if it's, I want to lose 10 pounds. Yeah. But why? Like just to fit into that pair of jeans or like, because like it it really matters to your health. Like the doctor has told you, you really need to, you know, whatever it is. But if you have that real, real why that you can stick to, you're going to be way more apt to stick to this plan. And that same thing can go to, to eating for sure. Or figuring out for me, I get so frustrated sometimes with my food choices of like, God, why can't I just like make the better choices or why can't I just stop thinking about like this sweet treat, you know, Um, and stress eating. I definitely stress eat when I'm anxious or something. And especially if I'm eating while doing something else, watching TV, I know they say like, that's why I don't do it because you're not paying attention. But gosh, just the other day we were at a restaurant and there was some there was no one there but two families and these kids were running crazy wild and so loud that I'm just like shoveling the food in my mouth because I'm like I'm just stress eating because I'm anxious because of this like the crazy children around but it's like but why why does having like anxiety or stress cause me to eat oh do you want to know do you want to know the answer uh, yeah (laughs) you have an answer absolutely (laughs) So this is really fun and this is really applicable for everybody. When we are in fight or flight, we're in high stress, whether it's like, ah, these kids, I can't take it. Or it's like, oh my God, I got to pay more bills or like, ugh, these jeans don't fit. Like whatever the stress is that we manufacture in our minds. Well, your body immediately goes into that fight or flight stress response, right? Blood gets shunted away from your digestive system into your arms and legs. So you can like run, fight, flee, whatever. However, if you eat enough food, you can basically override that stress response and force yourself into rest and digest where the blood runs back to your digestive system. And you basically trick yourself out of you know, the, I always get it backwards. Parasympathetic is when you're resting. Sympathetic is like, Mm -hmm. so you can override that sympathetic nervous system response, drop into parasympathetic rest and digest because you've completely overwhelmed your gut and your digestive system. And your body is like, 
we got to send in the troops. We got to send all the blood flow to the stomach to like digest and assimilate all this food. And it works every time. Yeah. Every time, every time that you overeat to the point that you're like, oh, I've landed. I'm like out of that stress response and I have landed, I'm grounded, I'm here. And that becomes highly addictive, Mm -hmm. right? To just use food as a cheap, uh, legal (laughs) form of a drug, right? Mm -hmm. And that doesn't inherently make any of us bad, obviously, right? If we figure out that we can regulate our own nervous system, thanks to the help of a whole bunch of food, then it just becomes habitual. It's to the end of the day and you're like, oh my God, my day was so stressful. You know what's going to make me feel better? I'm going to (laughs) eat. And even bringing an awareness to that becomes the first step in saying like, okay, I don't necessarily need to focus on how do I eat less? It's like, what are all the things that are happening in my day prior to getting to dinner time and stuffing my face that is causing me to feel like I'm just constantly on overdrive. Mm-hmm. And that's where, again, it just gets a lot more, a lot more interesting and a lot deeper of a conversation. And if you can resolve all the BS that is causing you to feel this like relentless anxiety then you don't need to overeat at the end of the day, right? And I could go on for hours about this, especially for us as women, Mm -hmm. right? Because I imagine you probably work in a male-dominated field, probably around a bunch of dudes all day. It's like, go, 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 lots of masculine energy. And like, you get to the end of the day and your feminine is like, I'm done. I'm freaking done. I'm going to sit down and I'm going to nourish myself. I'm going to eat some food. I'm going to chill the F out. So again, like even looking at that of, okay, as women, are we balancing our masculine and feminine energies or are we in our masculine all day long? And the only way our feminine is getting any support whatsoever is with food at the end of the day. And we're wondering why it feels so dysfunctional. Oh my gosh. (laughs) Yeah. I, that's just all mind blowing. And I love it. I could just listen to you about this for hours for sure. That's so amazing. And like you said, the fact that in 12 years of having this knowledge, studying this, that it still hasn't been talked about any more than it is, especially in industries like, are you still pretty involved in CrossFit or... No, because my nervous system can't handle it. Okay. I love love CrossFit, love high intensity exercise. And I find that with the intensity that I experience in the business every day, the last thing I want to do is hundreds of burpees. Yeah, I want to go home. I want to eat pasta. I want to drink a glass of wine and I want to go to bed early. (laughs) Absolutely. I have had my own struggles in the past year with kind of finding that balance. I, I fell in love with CrossFit. Um, not, not too long ago, really only a couple years ago, but I was finding myself just feeling more out of balance and not recovering. And I recently just went back because I missed the community of it so much, but I'm really trying to, to notice changes in my body so I can try to navigate it, like stay with it, but you know, not maybe to the intensity that I wish I could do it at or want to do it at. 
But I was only asking because being that you were in that space when you started studying eating psychology, it'd be so interesting that now being still in that space, like, are people talking about it there? Like, no. And that's one of the most important places to talk about it. Because again, the people there are, are there because one, they've taken the first step to health, like working out and nutrition is right there hand in hand. And we just, just forget about it. Or like you said, it, it, they're counting calories or like wanting to lose the weight instead of trying to figure out why am I eating this way and how can I ha use it to help me instead of it always just being a, a battle, I feel like against yourself. Right. Yeah. And that's a whole nother piece that we could spend hours on is the almost rebellion or the lack of trust that we have with our own body to like, tell us like, Hey, I'm hungry. Would really like to eat something. <laughs> but if you're in that constant diet mentality, you're potentially not even giving your body the food that it needs to actually feel satiated, to feel strong, to recover, to sleep well. And that just further perpetuates it, where if you're restricting, on the other side of restriction is always going to be binge, mm -hmm. always. Like, I had competed in my first bodybuilding show last year, which was a really fun nutritional experiment. Like, I could talk about that forever. And in that sport, it's 12, 14, 16 weeks of lots of restriction. Mm -hmm. And you know what happens at the end of that? every single one of them goes and eats enough food that you want to throw up. Yeah. Right. And then the weight comes back on and you're like, yeah, <laughs> I do all that for. Mm -hmm. And I have like, love that sport. It was an amazing experience. I hope I get to compete again because it was another feather in my nutritional cap. But even going through something like that to that level of extreme, you still deal with the rebound of, mm -hmm. I still don't know how to feed myself. I'm still confused. Can I listen to my hunger singles? I've, I've just spent 14 weeks telling myself I'm not hungry when mm -hmm. like I could eat the leather off of my shoe. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. It's interesting. Really interesting stuff. So obviously now, I mean, you have Heather's Choice, a dehydrated food company, but how do we get from you having this nutrition uh, degree eating psychology and being into now CrossFit and a, a raft guide, like where and how did Heather's choice come of this all? This is another ridiculous story. So <laughs> graduated from Western, went back home to Alaska, was raft guiding. Somebody had said, Hey, I've got an opportunity to go raft the Grand Canyon this winter. And I was like, that sounds awesome awesome. I want to go. Like, how do I go on this trip? So I get introduced to this guy, Travis. He's like, so you can row a boat. I'm like, yeah, I can row a boat. Right. Like I'm not a class. I'm not a whitewater raft guide. I'm like a cruise, <laughs> like class one and two raft guide. But I signed myself up for this Grand Canyon trip and it's 25 days. I think we launched December 26th, 16 people. I don't know any of them. None. <laughs> The girl that was supposed to go bailed that I knew. And so it was just me. That was the only female raft guide. I was 22 and I was terrified, right? Like you look at the map of the Grand Canyon and it's like Lava Falls, class nine. Like, oh my, 
I remember sitting at the kitchen table with my dad, looking at the map, just crying. I was like, I don't know. I don't know why I signed up for this. And he's like, you'll be fine. <laughs> and so getting ready for that trip, having a background in evolutionary nutrition, I frantically dehydrated a whole bunch of food for this trip because I was not going to eat Velveeta mac and cheese and like canned chicken, which was on the menu for day 23, right? Like, <laughs> I was, I was so far down the rabbit hole of all things, paleo, high quality nutrition, whole foods that I was like, no, I'm going to pack all my own stuff. I'm going to eat like a queen. And I need this to feel strong because I'm terrified going into this trip. So end up on the Grand Canyon, made lifetime friends, right? Like had the most amazing experience. But I remember sitting on my boat, probably drinking wine from a plastic cup eating whatever dehydrated food I had brought, like dehydrated purple sweet potatoes and moose jerky, right? And my buddy Jason was like, this is super rad. Like, you know, would you ever think about like doing this like for real? And I'm like, yeah, I don't know. It'd be kind of cool to have a lightweight packable meal company called Heather's Choice. (laughs) That was 2011. Flash forward to 2014. I've lived in Colorado. I've had a coaching business. It's been really successful. I've done CrossFit for years. I'm living in Boulder. It's hot. And I realized that I was really homesick. Like, I don't want to be living in this air-conditioned apartment anymore. I don't want to drive my air-conditioned car to this air-conditioned gym. Like, this is not the life that I want. So I packed all my stuff, moved back home to Alaska in the summer of 2014. And I'd still been like, playing with dehydrating food and taking it on pack rafting trips and just like it was just fun so come back to alaska go on a hike with jason send him with some of the food and he's like heather what is it going to take for you to like turn this into a business and i'm like oh i don't know like i'm house sitting right now like i don't have anywhere to live i don't have any money like i guess i need a business i don't i didn't know what i needed so he's like okay i'm gonna give you five grand We're going to drive to Cabela's. We're going to buy the largest dehydrator they have, which was the size of a wine cooler. I'm going to give you a place to live in my fourplex in exchange for you painting. And I want you to to like go for it and try it. Wow. So I spent two weeks learning how to launch a Shopify site, ripping off the internet at a local (laughs) shop. And on August 14th, I was like, okay, click go live and I remember I placed the first order through the website and it on my phone it's like ding you know Shopify order number zero 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 one and I was like okay I guess it works <laughs> I guess I'm doing this so that's been it'll be 10 years in August wow and I cannot tell you how hard and how rewarding it's been And I think for some people, they would judge or have comment about like my entrepreneurial journey. Mm -hmm. I think what people don't realize is I was 26. I had no money. I didn't even have a place to live. I didn't have anything to start this business with. It, It has been just this really slow following of the breadcrumbs to where we are today. And there has been nothing (laughs) 
that has stretched me more than building this business. But that's how it came to be. (laughs) Well, I mean, I think it's super important to share because so 10 years, that's amazing that you're still here after 10 years. But that doesn't mean that, you know, people should look at you like, oh, you've been in business for 10 years. Why aren't you here or here or here? Like, it's important to show people that it takes time and effort. And especially if you're starting it all on your own from nothing, it's like, how long did it take you till you were doing it full time? Two plus years. And yeah, so it's like, a while. Yeah. And sometimes it takes people even longer than that, right? That it's like, I mean, decades that they're doing something before they're doing it full time for whatever reason, um, whether like they just haven't made the the plunge or they just don't see a way to make it full time, whatever. But that's the big point of my podcast and having people on is showing people that it's it takes time and effort and if it's something you really want, then just stay, stay the course, stay with it. If you truly believe in it, you'll figure out how to make it work. And I think, I mean, just seeing you on Shark Tank too, I was just like, oh my God, I want to be right there with her. Just hearing you put your heart on your sleeve to these people was amazing. And, you know, like you have so much good to show for it. I mean, you're on retail floors everywhere like obviously our tiny store in Tahoe sells your stuff you're in places like REI so you have a name for yourself but you're also still holding on to your true like morals and ethics and the things that you want in your business and I think there's a lot to to show for that yeah thank you it's obviously I don't take it for granted that we have we have achieved like a level of success, right? Like the fact that we have a team of 10 people, the fact that I get to go to work with my smart Brad and my dog every day, the fact that I make a full-time living doing it, like there's been a ton of success along the way. It's just, I, I wish that people understood how much goes into entrepreneurship and that it wasn't so glamorized. Yeah. Because I think people can get tricked into like, oh, I'm going to start a business and I'm going to make millions. And for some people, that's a reality. It's mm-hmm. not been my reality, right? Yeah. Like I have definitely been put through the ringer on this. But also to your point with the podcast, like it's okay to struggle. It's okay mm-hmm. to stumble and fall on your face and pick yourself back up and try again and like just keep going. And I don't feel like in our world today that's necessarily talked about enough because there is so much quick overnight seeming success. Mm -hmm. Right. And I'm sure there's people who watch this on shark tank that are like, Oh my God, you're an overnight success story. And I'm like, no, (laughs) this has been nine and a half years of like Uber intensity, but we have a lot to show for it. And I believe that Heather's choice is going to live a long life beyond me. Like that would be success for me is for Heather's choice to be like a legacy, right? And for it to be world-class, for it to be global, for it to feed people across the world, like that would be pretty cool. Yeah. And so suddenly when the goal is to build something that's a lot bigger than yourself and it's a lot more than just making a buck, it takes time. Yeah. (laughs) 
Absolutely. And I mean, you're right there in the throes every day too. So that's, what's amazing still too, is you, you haven't just turned this over to a team and you're like, Oh yeah. You know, call me if there's a problem. You're sounds like you're still involved. Like every day you and your partner are just every step of the way along for the ride. Um, and one thing I was going to ask too is where do you see you kind of, you know, I, like you said, you want this to go far beyond you, but where do you see the future of it? Like with you, like, what are your hopes to grow? Like for people who don't know and aren't maybe as involved in the outdoor industry as I am, like I said, you're in shops, um, and, but you're also still selling like from like direct to consumer. So what would be your ultimate goal with Heather's choice just to get it out there, like stay direct to consumer or put a focus on one side or the other or what? I will say that our retail partners like you guys are critical to this whole equation because you and I both know that most of us buy food at the store, right? Like you're leaving town and it's like, need to swing in and get some meals before we head to the trail. Like typically people aren't thinking far enough ahead about food in general. Mm -hmm. And so for us, having a retail presence, being accessible to people is of the utmost importance. The vision for Heather's Choice that still scares me to like even vocalize because it feels so big. I think dehydrating food is one piece of a really large puzzle for solving food insecurity. Mm -hmm. And as I think about living in a place like Alaska, where we have a three month growing season, mm -hmm. our options are to either can a whole bunch of stuff, which is a pain in the ass. <laughs> I've done it. Like canning food is just its own whole thing. You can freeze it, which there's not enough freezer capacity in the entire state, mm -hmm. right? To, to feed everybody who's here. Or you can make it shelf stable with something like dehydrating and still have a really healthy, delicious, awesome shelf-stable food product that can last the whole year or for years. Mm -hmm. And I see a world where Heather's Choice is a catalyst or grows to the point that we do have kitchens all across the globe, right? Like somebody was asking me the other day, like, oh, have you thought about exporting to New Zealand? I'm like, I don't want to export to New Zealand. I want to build a kitchen in New Zealand. And I never in my wildest dreams would have ever thought that I would care as much as I do about my team and about the people who work at Heather's Choice. And even thinking about going and building businesses across the globe that provide a really healthy, safe, welcoming environment for people to work in that's pretty effing exciting, right? And I already witness it here at Heather's Choice where if you were to come hang out with us and be here for a day, you'd be like, oh, this place is a vibe. Like, this place is cool. These people are fun. Like, there's it's a lighthearted environment. Like, most days, some days are really stressful. But, like, generally, it we have created something that is really special. Mm -hmm. And... I feel like the world needs more of that because even as this is, this is crazy, but like we're talking about moving the business out of Alaska, 
we're working towards moving just up the road from you in mm -hmm. Ashland, Oregon. It's a long-term project, but it's something that we're working towards because manufacturing in Alaska is its own whole thing. And having an employee who is asking me like, when is this move happening? And I'm like, I don't quite know yet, but I will let you guys know as soon as I do. And she goes, starts crying. Cause she's like, I don't want to work anywhere else. Mm -hmm. Like I can't move with you, but like, I don't want to leave. And that is an experience that I never thought I would have at 26 years old, dehydrating food and like driving around in my pickup truck and giving it away to people. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> So yeah, it's the vision and the impact that Heather's Choice can have is so much bigger than me. And it still scares me at times where I'm like, ah, yeah. it's just too much. Can I just go back to being a raft guide, please? Right. <laughs> well, that's amazing. I think that's a, just such an admirable thing too, of the fact that part of you wanting to expand and yeah, talking about a kitchen in New Zealand or around the world is to be able to provide people with this work environment. I think that's something that's definitely overlooked and it's becoming of more importance to people in, in these smaller industries of how much the work environment affects people's lives on a day-to-day -day basis. I mean, many of us spend, not me, I'm lucky enough to like, well, where I'm at in the industry I work in and being mostly remote now, but when you work a full-time job in an office, you're with those people more than you are with your families. You're thinking about the fact of you only really get a couple hours with your kids at the end of the day, especially at certain younger ages. You know, you get home, you get to have dinner with them, and maybe that's it. If you're working a nine to five or eight to six or whatever. So what happens at work can be so important to your your psychology, your your mindset, your everything. And being able to have a small like part in some people's lives for that, I think is huge. And like I said, the fact that you are putting that at the top of your list is, is amazing. And I just respect that so much as a business owner, that that's what you're thinking about is your people, not just the fact that you're trying to build a business and make more money or something. You're like, every part of it matters to you. Yeah. And it's, it's a blessing and a curse because I think that got called out pretty blatantly on Shark Tank that I'm a little bit of a control freak, just a little <laughs> bit. Uh, but I believe it all matters, right? And if I believe that the food we eat has an energetic impact on us, and if I believe that the energy we put into the food that we make has an energetic impact, like it does all matter. Mm -hmm. And it's easy as a business owner to make it all black and white, you know, dollars and cents, profit or not. Like if that's the lens that you look through, it just sucks the life out of something. Yeah. And do I believe that Heather's Choice being profitable and making more money is going to provide more opportunities for myself and everybody else involved? Absolutely. Yes. And that is not how I show up every day. I don't show up to work every day thinking like, how am I going to make a buck? It's like, right. who needs what? How do I move things forward? How do I keep progressing? Are we taking care of our customers? Are we taking care of our people? Like, what is the vibe? And I do think that has attracted a ton of support. Mm -hmm. Like, never do I want to paint the picture that woe is me and it's been mm -hmm. hard and blah, blah, blah. It's like, 
I've struggled, but I'm still here because of all the support I've received. Yeah. And after watching you on Shark Tank too, I mean, everything you're saying, I feel like that's what I was getting from. And I was just like, fuck these people. She's going to find someone who aligns with this, not just this, you know, person who is business savvy and has the money to like hand over. She's going to find the people that truly resonate with her and, you know, the that believe in what she wants instead of just making a buck. Cause I feel like the people, the sharks, you know, they're like, they're going to do whatever will make them more money and whatnot. So I was curious too, with that, you know, going in and knowing a bit about these people and who you're going to talk to and pitch to, like, were you really hopeful for a certain one of them to take a deal? I still want to do business with Mark. That would be yeah, really fun. <laughs> totally. I, I mean, you I could learn like... so much from any of them, I'm sure. But I was wondering who of the sharks, yeah, would be like your choice. Yeah, I feel like somebody like Mark, who obviously has a leaning towards athletics, you know, he cares about what he eats and he's like aware and privy to that. I think that the lesson that I learned this past year as I was out pitching and fundraising was like, man, I wasn't allowing myself to communicate and to visualize the really big picture, right? I was pitching a backpacking food brand. Nothing wrong with that. That's what Heather's Choice has been for the last nine years. Like we've been an outdoor brand. That is a piece of the puzzle but now all of a sudden having so many people writing into us saying like, Oh my gosh, I'm so grateful to have this when I don't have time to cook or I can't cook because I'm recovering from shoulder surgery or I'm celiac disease and I'm a pilot and I get sent to Australia and nobody cares about gluten-free over there. So like Heather's choice is my safety net while I'm traveling abroad. Like that sort of stuff is so humbling and Again, it overwhelms the hell out of me to be like, do people understand that we like hand chop the onions and like we make these meals just like you would at home? Like there's still so much about our process right now that is so organic and homespun that to think about scaling that up to making millions of meals a year, it's too overwhelming. Mm -hmm. I'm just like, ah, deer in the headlights, like, no, 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 no. Out of self-preservation. I'm like, there's no way. But that's part of my job now is to go find the people who are game. So mm -hmm. just help me figure out how do we make thousands of grass-fed bison chilies, not hundreds. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's a lot, but I, I'm forever grateful for the whole experience because it's really solidified what I do and don't care about and now it's you know kind of putting on my big girl pants and saying okay I'm ready for the next leg of this adventure <laughs> yeah well that's amazing I mean I think it just takes a lot to put yourself out there in front of the entire world to to I think a lot of good comes from it and I'm sure like I said a lot of anxiety and like nervousness like oh god now now I'm just out there but I think more good will come for from it for sure because then you can connect with those people I think all in all our food system 
in this country especially is a bit broken so being able to connect with the people who are actually raising those grass-fed bison you know and doing things the right way is the step in the right direction versus like how can we just produce more um we need a little less of that thought of just producing more and how do we produce it consciously so i'm glad to see you are just still working in that direction and and sticking to your guns there and I trust you'll definitely find it. And I had some of your grass-fed bison chili today. It was actually the first time I actually tried it. And I was like, whoa. And also, like you mentioned, just all the other, it doesn't have to be like backpacking. I mean, I have limited water and I don't have hot water unless I boil it. So the fact that I just boiled 10 ounces of water and poured it right in the package and could eat that for lunch instead of like, oh, great, there's another dish. I have to make sure my tanks are full and tanks are empty and make hot water just to do a dish. And like, all I got is a spoon now. And it is nutritious. And it was like 41 grams of protein. Like, holy shit, I've got a a massive protein, like daily goal to hit. So that's super helpful for me. (laughs) All right. There's, that's a big chunk of my protein goal for the day and, and filling. And then I'm not getting into that crazy um, anxiety overeating (laughs) psychology that I usually go in. So there's just totally, or just taking it to work too. We have a hot water kettle or an electric kettle uh, at the store. I'm like, great. Now I don't have to go to Safeway and just buy like a wrap. If I didn't have time to pack my lunch, I can eat something that feels just fulfilling and healthy. So, so many great uses for it. And it's just freaking delicious. So thank you. It's yeah, it was really funny today. You'll appreciate this. Somebody was crawling up my ass about using canned diced tomatoes. I saw this. I'm so glad you're bringing it up. Oh my God. God, I, I read through like, the comments. I was like, this is crazy. <laughs> I know. And I'm like, okay, if I'm going to put on my nutrition hat and like, if we're going to have a conversation about this, that's fine. But again, it's like people's expectations of nutrition, healthy food, what's healthy, what's not too much sodium, not enough. So like it's maddening. Right. And it's, I think that for me, that experience today was like, okay, Heather, you're going to be more vocal. Like you're going to tell people what you think and there is going to be backlash and you have to be strong enough to handle it. Mm-hmm. But I was like, this is not how I want to be spending my time. Yeah. Fighting people on the internet. <laughs> yeah. It's a, it's a terrible dumpster fire at times, but um, I mean, with your background too, it's like, you have the grounds to say, okay, this like versus this, the nutrition, it's not that big of a deal. I'm not like putting in like like, tomato flavor or something onto (laughs) the tofu, you know, like this is fine. And we all also have to take that stigma away of like prepared food at times. Like it's okay it's okay. You are still ultimately making a better choice than like going to McDonald's or something. Right. You know, like you have to, you have to weigh some of your options and know which what's actually truly like bad, bad. And that's a whole nother conversation of putting like connotations on food as good or bad, but. Oh yeah. And (laughs) I feel like 
you it's back to the comment you made earlier about our food system being so broken. I'm like, you are making an assumption that we have fresh tomatoes in Alaska in the dead of winter. Yeah. Like get out of here. Exactly. <laughs> I mean, even here in Tahoe, obviously we're not, it's easier for us to get to places. Um, but our growing season isn't very long either. Cause it still snows and gets frozen in June. And then like the end of June and then in early August, we don't have a big season to grow outside in Tahoe. We're at, you know, elevation and weather can just be, be severe, but because like we're not as isolated and it's much less costly for us to get food shipped in and trucked in than Alaska. But yeah, you don't know everyone's story, like internet person. It's so frustrating when people pipe in and, and just then to put you down, like you've been lying to your people. Like clearly you're not, you just put a video on the internet of you using diced tomatoes. I don't know what you're lying about. <laughs> yeah. I, I, as a nutrition geek, eat diced tomatoes all the time from a can and they're delicious. Yeah. They're great. And they make great marinara sauce. They make great chili. Like, yeah, that's where I agree with you that there's a misconception that like all packaged food is bad, uh-huh. right? And that's just an easier blanket statement to make. And that doesn't account for the reality that we live in today, which is to transport fresh or frozen food all over the place actually isn't the most carbon friendly thing ever. And I could yammer on about that for hours of like, yeah. okay, if we want to talk about sustainability, like, let's talk about it. And let's yeah. talk about weight savings from dehydrated versus fresh food. And like, we can have that fight. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> so much more into it. And at cost, I mean, look at even just going to your farmer's market, if you're truly paying what the farmer deserves, you're paying a lot more. So Thus, if you're using that food and your ingredients and whatnot, that's just another thing you have to take into account. And as a business, like I'm sure that's what you would want to do. Yeah, but we got to do what we got to do at times. And except for everyone to to get fair, make their fair prices and and make things happen. It's just not always how you picture it or how people want to make it look. Um, but again, it's. <laughs> just ridiculous the dumpster fire internet and the things people want to start and have arguments about when they only have one side um and one view and are just going to say this is good or bad or this is the way it should be and they have no other option you're just arguing with a wall mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah totally that was my one and only internet fight for the rest of my life so yeah. you won't find me on the internet anymore <laughs> yeah totally taking a break from that um yeah, I had a crazy experience myself that I was like, I'm just going to be off this app for like ever. <laughs> like, I don't need to be here. This is a weird place, but <laughs> totally. Um, well, Heather, thank you so much for joining me today. I think we covered a lot and learned so much. And I, I learned so much myself. It was amazing. I just love hearing about everyone's backgrounds and like said, eating psychology, all the things and all the things that have gone into Heather's choice being where it is now. It's amazing to have heard your yeah, story. Thank you so much for having me. It's This is really, really fun for me to take a break from spreadsheet land <laughs> to be like, oh, I just get to go like chat. Yeah. And yeah. It's. I hope that that's part of what I get to do in this next year is just a lot more conversations like this and you know, try to be helpful where I can.
Amazing. Well, before we sign off, um, tell people where they can find you, um, where they can try Heather's Choice. Like, I'm sure, obviously, big places or just online. What, the, how they can find retailers? Do you have a like a dealer list on your website? Yeah, absolutely. Okay, I think that now is Tahoe Mountain Sports part of Grassroots Outdoor Alliance. Mm-hmm. Yay. So yeah, that's probably how we got connected with you guys. So we have, I want to say about a hundred or 150. I'm, I don't keep track of that, but we have a lot of awesome independent outdoor retailers all across the country. We are in select REIs, select shields, and you know people can find all of that on our website at heatherschoice.com. If you go there now, I recommend clicking the little email me when back in stock because like I mentioned before, we make these 300 at a time and we were pretty inundated with orders post Shark Tank, believe it or not. So if anybody needs us, our team is moving back to a seven day a week production oh, schedule gosh. and our goal is to not turn those dehydrators off because the demand that we have for the product far exceeds our current capacity and that's going to be my long-term project for the year is solving for that awesome amazing all right well out there people in the world you know where to find her heatherschoice.com and uh reach out through her website you can always send us a message to the podcast if you have any questions and and we'll forward them on to her as well and thank you all out there for joining us and heather i hope to have conversations with you again in the future and with whatever is next with Heather's Choice. Yeah, thanks for having me and hopefully I get to see you in real life soon. <laughs> yes, yeah, you might not be too far from me. I drive through there when I go to Washington to visit the family. So I'd love to, when you get down to Ashland, uh, make a pop through and, and check everything out. Yeah, we'd love to have you. You'll you'll get a kick out of it for sure. Amazing. All right, everyone out there, thanks for hanging and listening, and we'll talk to you next week. We hope you enjoyed this episode and would do us a huge favor since we don't have any sponsors or anything like that and would rate and review us on whatever platform it is you use, Spotify, Apple, Stitcher, uh, whatever it is. And if you're listening and downloading just through the website, tearingituppodcast.com, leave comments. Um, we'll definitely engage back with you. And on social media right now, we're just on Instagram. Tearing it up podcast is the handle. Like the post, share the post, comment on the post, whatever it is you got. Um, show us your love so we just stay relevant and show up in the rankings at all. So again, rate and review, please. And we'll see you next time. Thanks.